As we uh, look at scripture and let that cha- change us and shape us today, I want to uh, read our passage for this morning out of Re- uh, Revelation 3. It says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a name of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is on the point of death. For I have not found your works perfect in the sight of my God. Remember that, remember then what you received and heard. Obey it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. Yet you have Still, a few persons in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes, they will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. If you conquer, you will be clothed, clothed like the, them in white robes, and I will not blot your name out of the book of life. I will confess your name before my Father and before his angels. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Thank you, April. We're continuing our series on the seven letters of seven churches from the book of Revelation. And as uh, April just read, we're starting with Christ's message to the church at Sardis from Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now, Sardis was a really important city uh, back when Revelation was written, uh, probably about 50 miles northeast of Ephesus and somewhere between 60 to 100,000 people lived there at the time. Set up on a hill uh, about 1,500 feet above sea level, or above the valley floor, excuse me. And Sardis, very wealthy city. Large amounts of gold had been discovered there uh, th- several centuries back, and that wealth meant Sardis had a very large army, and that's important to get here. Their location up on this hill coupled with this, this army meant the Sardisians, they, they, they just felt like they were impenetrable. They felt no one would ever be able to invade their city. And and so they, over the centuries, they just kind of became comfortable. And they really let their guard down. And for centuries, pretty much they were okay. Uh, About 600 years-ish before Revelations was written, um, the city was under siege by the Persian army. And this had happened many times before, and, and, and they were always fine. The Sardisians, they, they found the best way for them to, to pose an offense was simply just to wait out the invaders up on their hill because they were impenetrable. No one, no army would be able to touch them. They were safe up there, and then they just needed to hunker down and just wait for the Persians to just kind of leave. That's what they'd done time and time and time again. So at this one point, Persians have been waiting, just watching all day, all night from down below. They were watching the city up on a hill. And then one day, a guard was, was over by the side of, of the, the, um, the city's wall. And he just kind of got a little too comfortable and, and probably, frankly, just kind of fell asleep. And, and his helmet is the deal. It fell off and it rolled over the wall and everyone watched it go down the cliff, 1,500 feet down. 
He didn't know the Persians were watching. Persians watched as that guard descended down the hill by this secret trail to retrieve his helmet. And then he climbed back 1,500 feet back up the hill. And you can guess what happened later that night. The Persians, they ascended that same no longer secret trail and invaded the city in a surprise attack. The Sardisians, they just never expected it. They never saw that coming, which made it all the more devastating. Now, you would think they would learn their lesson, but if you fast forward another 300 years or so, city on a hill, once again, surrounded by invaders. This time it was Antiochus the Great. And in a nutshell, the Sardisians, they had this habit of just kind of throwing their garbage over the, 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 the wall, especially when they were under siege. And that meant buzzards would develop this habit of just kind of hanging out and, and just scoring a meal whenever this happened. And so one day, Antiochus' soldiers noticed a bunch of buzzards not circling up in the air, but just kind of sitting really comfortable on this section of the wall, which they knew meant there was no guard there. They knew if a guard had been there, the buzzards would have never landed. So once again, just like those buzzards on the wall, the Sardisians, they just got way too comfortable. And it hurt him big time. Sardis was once more invaded and that impenetrable city on the hill was conquered and was taken. Now, those invasions happened hundreds of years before Revelation, but, but they're very well-known tales in the history of Sardis. And they knew they had this history, getting just way too comfortable and having it just completely backfire on them. More than once, the Sardisians, they had become lazy, a little too arrogant, and it cost them everything. And the worst thing is they really never learned from the experience. So that history is behind Christ's letter to the Sardisians in Revelation chapter 3. Throughout this message, we've, we've tried to, to show how each of these letters, they follow the same form. There's a different title for Christ, and then there's a commendation, something good that's going on in the church. Then there's a com condemnation, something negative that's an issue in the church. Then it's followed by these admonitions and these exhortations, encouragements. And, and then finally, we get a promise. Every one of these seven letters to the seven churches. And, and the two variables there are the condemnations and the commendations. And not all churches get a commendation. And we're going to see that in a second. That means nothing good enough is happening for Christ to, to, to commend the community. The other variable is the condemnation. And there's two churches, they don't get any negatives from Christ at all. That was Smyrna we saw a couple weeks ago, and then Philadelphia we're going to look at next week. They're just encouraged to keep on the path. So let's look at Christ's message for the church at Sardis. We start with the title. These are the words of him who has put the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. These words are describing Jesus, his sovereign control over these churches, but also the source of his spiritual power. What do I mean? Sardisians, they needed to be reminded who Jesus is. 
They need to be reminded the source of his power. Because the issue is, in the midst of their comfort and their lackadaisicalness, they, 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 they just kind of forgot. That's the issue. There's no commendation for the church at Sardis. Nothing good is going on enough for the church to be commended. They just get condemnation. Revelation 3, verse 1. I know your works. You have a name of being alive, but you're dead. Christ is saying you have this name. You have this reputation And the grammar is actually really, it's saying, I know what you've done in the past, what you were about in the past. You used to be strong in the past. You used to be a place where things happened back in the past, but you're living off your past triumphs. All the while you're deceiving yourselves. I think it's really interesting. The criteria that Jesus uses here to judge them upon is their works, he says. Their works. I know your works. You have a name of being alive, but you're dead. What a message for us in October of 2020. This weird, surreal Groundhog Day of a year. How are your works seven months into this pandemic? Actually, it's more like nine. As Jesus says, They have this name, this reputation, being alive, (laughs) but they're the exact opposite. And there's an irony there because the person they say they're following, this person they say is their Lord, the one who was resurrected, who was dead and is alive, is telling them, you used to be alive, but now you're dead. And you call yourselves my followers. This church at Sardis was alive. The resurrected Lord proclaims them dead. They need a resurrection. We've talked about this so many times. The disciples, they follow their leader. You know, the disciples, they, they, they need to get off their couch and follow the one who brings life from the dead. We've studied these letters enough to to recognize something's missing about this point. Usually there's someone who is named and they're a problem in the community. You know, there's an enemy within the church or outside the church. Usually they're named in these letters that are causing a problem. There's no one named here. There's no liars in Sardis. There's no Jezebel in Sardis. There's no synagogue of Satan in Sardis. There's no throne of Satan. There aren't any spiritual adversaries in Sardis. Nobody's pulling them down. There's not a specific person. They are the problem, the Sardesians. Just like their ancestors, the guard that, you know, dropped his helmet because he got too comfortable. They're sleeping on the job. They don't wake up. They're going to repeat their city's history They're going to lose everything. But Christ has encouragement for them. Uh, In Revelation 3, 2, uh, wake up, strengthen what remains and is on the point of death. For I have not found your works perfect in the sight of my God. Christ says he knows the state of their works. 
Uh, They may appear to be living one way, but in reality, they're just on the verge of spiritual death. And I think we get this, unfortunately. We get this. Because how often, on the surface, everything looks great. But you scratch that surface and there's a very thin veneer. And we think we're hiding it. We think we're able to put on a show for our friends and our neighbors and our, maybe even our family, but Christ sees through. And he says, remember what you have received and heard, obey and repent. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is on the point of death. The way to do that, he says, is to remember what you have received and heard and go back and, and, and relearn, redo the situation here. It, it's critical, but it's not hopeless. So what's the fix? Well, remember, he says, what you have received, what you've heard, that was the exact same message he had for the Ephesians. Remember the love you had at first? Remember when you were serious about your walk with Christ? Get back on the path. You've strayed for way too long. You're living off your name. You're living off your past accomplishments. You've grown way too comfortable. There are forces watching. There are forces studying, waiting to attack when you least expect it. I mean, your helmet was dropped down the side of the hill and it's clanging all the way down. And these buzzards, they're they're just sleeping on the wall, playing for everybody to see your guards down. You know, it's so easy for us to get comfortable, feel like we're able to withstand any attack. That's when we're most vulnerable. They had it right when they started out. Their church was built upon a reputation, Jesus says. But a generation later, Christ says, stop living based on what you did. Doesn't matter anymore. You need to do something now. Otherwise, he says in 3.3, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. You won't know at what hour I will come. They knew how that worked. That was their city's history, right? I mean, they they got that. Their city had not learned from their past. Would the Christians, I mean, they needed to learn lessons their ancestors failed to learn. The minute you think you're invulnerable, you're a sitting duck. Your guard's down, you're wide open for attack. The key, he says, is so simple. He says them exactly what to do to get back on track. He says, remember what you have received, heard, obey, repent. Just turn back. You know, one of the first lessons my dad ever taught me was when we'd go out in the mountains was, you know, if, if you realize you're lost in the wilderness, you trace your steps back to where that point you veered off the trail. Just get back on track. I've seen this over and over. You know, how, how many times somebody will give their heart to Christ and, and, and they're all in and they're on fire and, and they never miss worship and they're going to read the whole Bible straight through and they join a small group and after a couple years, they just kind of lose steam. That's human nature. 
Same thing happens in marriages, you know, once the honeymoon's over. But it happens in jobs. You know, you land your dream job and you can't stop talking about that new job. And then about a year later, that job that was such a blessing is just now a hassle. Or when we get a new car and, you know, before that new car smells gone, we're already on the internet looking for that next ride. Or that we buy our perfect dream house and, and we're not going to change a thing. It's just perfect. Been waiting my whole life for this. And then the next year we do a complete remodel of the whole place. Just like that hymn, we're prone to wander. We're prone to stray. We're prone to leave the God I love. How much more in October of 2020? We have to remember the love we had at first. We have to go back, return, remember what we received, obey, repent. How do you do that? Well, the spiritual disciplines, you know, prayer, reading the Bible. Journaling's huge. You know, whenever I journal I, 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 and, and I spend time reading the Bible and I meditate, you know, I, I will grow spiritually. And conversely, when I do not do those things, slowly and slowly I just spiritually atrophy. You know, we need to spend time with other disciples. And I, and I know that's difficult, more difficult than it was a year ago, but it's still really possible. I mean, we have all kinds of small groups. All of our ministries have ways that we can be in community, fellowship with other Christians. You know, we're called to be in community together. We're called to journey together. I don't think you can live the spirituality that Jesus teaches without a community. We're gifted with other Christians to journey with. And we need to rely on them. Life groups, absolutely. Small groups. But, you know, when you're struggling, you need to find a fellow disciple and journey alongside them. I think that's kind of what Jesus is talking about in that last part of the admonition in, in verse 4. You still have a few persons in Sardis, Jesus says, who have not soiled their clothes they walk with me, dressed in white. They're, they're worthy. They're worthy. Now, first of all, there's some who are doing it in the midst of that church. But I also think there's something more going on. I think Jesus says this for a couple reasons. First of all, to encourage those who are keeping the faith to continue their course. But second, I think to those who are struggling, look around and ask for help from those who are living as disciples. I think in October in 2020, I think by now every one of us, we are struggling, we have been struggling, or we will be struggling on some level. Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, all, all that stuff. And if this is you, I want to encourage you. Find an advocate. Maybe that's a mature disciple that you can journey alongside with. And maybe you need to talk with a pastor. But honestly, this is a perfect job for one of our Stephen ministers. 
You know, Hillspring, we have a group of people, they've gone through 50 hours of training, and then they continue to go through education and peer uh, supervision and to fulfill their call to, to simply journey alongside others. I mean, they're trained in everything, grief counseling, listening skills, advocacy, community resources, all that stuff. Uh, along with our staff, our staff did the training at once. We, we have about 50 people who have gone through it at this point. I think we have about 35 active-ish. Um, uh, we may have a little bit more, but somewhere around 35 active Stephen ministers. And maybe October 2020, maybe you need someone like that. Somebody to walk with, talk with. I really, if, if you're interested, please contact us. I, if you'd like to just know more, because we all need someone, even in the best of times, but in the midst of a pandemic, they can help us conquer. Conquer this season, which is the final promise Christ gives us to the church at Sardis in verse 5. If you conquer, you'll be clothed like them in, in white robes, and I will not blot out your name of the book of life, and I will confess your name before my father and before his angels. You know, the other day we, um, we celebrated, and we're going to continue this morning, a, a group of those Stephen leaders, ministers, who have gone through uh, some specific extra training, and they just uh, graduated from this to become Stephen leaders. And I, I just want to lift up how important this ministry is. You know, uh, my wife and I took the Stephen ministry training, I think the year before we went to seminary. And I'll tell you, I learned more practical pastoral ministry from Stephen ministry than I probably learned at seminary. I learned Bible and theology and history. But man, they, they learn. It's an amazing training that they go through. But even more amazing is their heart for wanting to help those we're in the trenches of life. Our trenches have gotten deep this year. But our God is even greater. And our God gives us partners to journey with. I want to share a, a short video of um, our commissioning uh, prayer for our Stephen leaders. And, and really ask you, if you're interested in knowing more about Stephen ministry, but even, even more important, if you need someone to journey alongside. I, we would love to walk with you. Thank you. Hey, church, thank you so much for joining us. I am excited about this. Um, so I had the opportunity to do the Stephen Leader training with these amazing people uh, this last, well, little almost month and a half where we put in 50 hours or so of training and preparation to keep moving the Stephen's ministry forward in our church. I mean, we have over 30 people that are Stephen's ministers who, who are trained to walk with people when life is hurting. And just to listen, to encourage, to, to speak truth, and, and just be an amazing friend and confidant. So, you know, we are excited about this ministry growing, moving forward, and we get to do a cool commissioning today of these people who have dedicated so much time and effort to helping form and then create this ministry moving forward.
Hi, I'm Liz Hall. I'm one of the Stephen ministers here at Hillspring, and I am so excited to be part of this ministry. And I just finished up my leadership training with these amazing, fantastic people, and I'm very excited to be a part of our leadership team as well. Stephen Ministry is uh, just a, an amazing ministry to walk alongside people who are hurting, and uh, we all have a story. We all have times in our life where we could just really use a little extra care and support, and that is what we Stephen Ministers are here for. So we um, are looking forward to journeying alongside of you and being there with you and just getting to share Christ's love with you. We're out here just excited to be able to celebrate this ministry and to begin with a prayer of commission. Will you join us in prayer? Lord, we thank you for the call that you placed upon the hearts of uh, these friends gathered here. We thank you for those who have already journeyed into Stephen ministry and, and we are so excited as these friends begin their journey in this ministry. We celebrate the, the hour upon hour that they have offered to you in preparation for this time. And Lord, we ask their work might bring about your kingdom. In your son's name, we lift them up. Amen. Thank you.